X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jeff Smith from Portland, Oregon. You have a story the local ought to cover? Please tell us. Send us an email to the local at xray.fm. X-Ray. Today, back in the day, November 12, 1927, Joseph Stalin became the undisputed ruler of the Soviet Union as Leon Trotsky was expelled from the Communist Party. Leon Trotsky had been one of the heroes of the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917 that brought Russia under communist rule. He'd been head of foreign affairs under Lenin and was one of the five members of the first Politburo, the executive committee. It had appeared that he would be Lenin's successor. But General Secretary Joseph Stalin formed an alliance called the Troika with Grigory Zinoviev and Lev Kamenev. They gained control of the Politburo, spread rumors about Trotsky, removed Trotsky from his key role in 1925, then from the Politburo the following year. Stalin then expelled Trotsky and Zinoviev from the Communist Party today back in the day, November 12, 1927. A month later, Stalin expelled 98 of their supporters. Time magazine said in Russia, expulsion from the one and only party permitted to exist is a sentence of political death. Trotsky continued to write and call for revolution until August 20, 1940, when Stalinist assassins drove a pickaxe into his skull. He survived for 30 hours until he died at the age of 60. Today, back in the day, November 12, 1986, Minoru Yasui passed away at the age of 70. We've talked about Minoru Yasui before. Third son of Japanese immigrants born in Hood River, graduated from U of O Law School, became the first Japanese-American member of the Oregon Bar, became a second lieutenant in the Army's Infantry Reserve. He ended up moving to Chicago, worked at the Japanese consulate. After Pearl Harbor, he moved back to Hood River, expecting to report for military duty. But the Army denied his request to serve on nine separate occasions. And after the executive order allowing the establishment of curfews and the internment of Japanese Americans, he decided to test the constitutionality of that curfew. At the age of 26, he walked up to police station at 11 p.m. and asked to be arrested. The case ended up in the Supreme Court in 1943. The Supreme Court ruled that Yasui had not lost his citizenship, but did rule that due to his race, his rights could be overruled in time of war. He was sent to an internment camp in Idaho, was confined until his release in 1944. In 1976, he began working with the Japanese American Citizens League to address the internment camps of World War II. Until finally, in 1983, he filed a petition to overturn his conviction and challenged the constitutionality of the 1940s curfew. The federal courts, all the way to the Supreme Court, threw out his conviction, but refused to hear evidence on the curfew and the racial discrimination behind it. And by that time, in 1986, Yasui had passed away. In 2015, President Barack Obama awarded Yasui with the posthumous Medal of Freedom, making him the first Oregonian to receive that medal. Happy Veterans Day. Today, we'll have your Quick 6 News headlines and an interview with newly elected Metro Councilor Mary Nolan. X-Ray. Now it's time for today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Portland veterans are receiving new permanent housing. Several organizations are in the process of welcoming 28 previous homeless vets into affordable living units. Over the last five years, groups like MJP Management, Inc. Built Architecture, Pacific Powers Blue Sky Program, Do Good Multnomah, and Northwest Ventures Group have worked to bring a new initiative to life. The initiative is a veteran-supportive housing program who have now set up the Robert J. Breitung Building. It's a building named after Chris Iosa's grandfather, a Korean War and Navy veteran. IOSA is executive director of Do Good Multnomah, a nonprofit that helps veterans experiencing homelessness. IOSA said that 28 units have made available but more needed to be done for the 400-plus veterans experiencing homelessness in Multnomah County now. Your daily dose of coronavirus, Dad. It's getting bad out there. 140,000 in a day, the worst in the country so far. 876 reported in Oregon, five new deaths. 
Total number of cases in the United States, 11 million. Total number of deaths, nearing a quarter million. Meanwhile, Portland's mask drive has received a donation of 50,000 masks. Jim and Michelle James were trying to reach 4,000 masks when a California clothing company stepped in and donated 50,000. Jim and Michelle James have been using their bed and breakfast, the Happy Rock Inn, as a base to start the program, to give back to their community by giving away free masks. The program is called Peace, Love, and Safety. They started the drive back in May of 2020 this year. Those who were too sick or afraid to leave their homes could get one. Volunteers offered to drop off face masks to those who needed them. The couple teamed up with the Great Spirit Church of Portland, which works closely with Native American communities. And in early November, an L.A.-based clothing company called Bella and Canvas sent over a box truck with 50,000 masks. The couple now works with the Great Spirit Church to distribute the masks to Native American communities such as the Warm Springs Reservation as well as other tribes in Washington, Oregon, and Idaho. There are wonderful people doing beautiful things. There are COVID relief grants available for Oregon sex workers. Strippers and sex workers in Oregon can now apply for federally funded COVID relief. The Portland chapter of Haymarket Poll Collective, the PDX stripper strike, has recently been awarded nearly $600,000 in COVID relief from the Oregon Health Authority. The organization is seeking out applications from sex workers who are black, indigenous, transgender, live with a minor dependent, or are experiencing homelessness. PDX stripper strike will distribute money in the form of microgrants. Accepted applicants will receive $150 for internet access, $500 for utilities, and $1,600 for rent relief. The group is also planning to send out totes filled with helpful supplies, masks, personal hygiene items, household cleaning products, gas and grocery gift cards, and even small mail-in COVID-19 tests. The totes will be distributed until the end of the year. Totes, thanks. Activists rallied to decry campsite sweeps at Laurelhurst Park planned by the city of Portland. A homeless camp sweep was planned for Tuesday morning in Laurelhurst Park, but it was met by activists. A group of about 50 people gathered outside the encampment to protest the pending removal. They waved signs reading, Stop the Sweeps and Sheltering in Place at Passing Cars. The group expected city workers to arrive on Monday morning to clear the campsites, but were told they'd be delayed by a day or two. For the time being, Portland has paused most campsite removals during the pandemic following guidelines from the CDC. According to the city's Homelessness Urban Camping Impact Reduction Program, the only camps that need to be moved are those that pose significant public health and safety risk. A spokesperson for HUCURP, that's the group I just mentioned, said that campers have failed to comply with CDC rules for the camp. These rules have to do with physical distancing and keeping spaces around campsites clean. Hafer said the Southeast Oak encampment has violated the rules, also attracting dangerous activity to the region. In the street adjacent to that region, 20 stolen cars have been recovered in about the last half a year. Additionally, one person living in the camp had been arrested for stealing $10,000 worth of property from a storage pod located in a neighbor's driveway. During a post-election press conference on Wednesday, Mayor Ted Wheeler told reporters he would like to expand the city's outdoor shelter spaces to accommodate the homeless. Currently, around 15 of the roughly 75 campers at Laurelhurst have been referred to shelters. According to a local spokesperson, that removal effort was synchronized with the opening of the Mount Scott Community Center shelter last week. The second Saturday Astoria Walk is coming up on Saturday the 14th. The second Saturday Astoria Art Walk will be held this weekend from noon until 8 on Saturday the 14th. Fifteen Portland-based artists will be showcasing their new work. Some of the artists featured John Willis, Paul Polson, Nancy Bossy, Kitty Piano, Yuki Hiratsuka, Reed Clark, several more. The Astoria Institute of Music and the Center for the Arts is on 1159 Marine Drive that will feature paintings as well as live acoustic folk music. The Art Walk will have contemporary printmaking, oil paintings, crafts, a storybook about catastrophes, those are astrophes about cats, as well as jewelry, ceramics, glass art, 
Sounds pretty Oregon. Oregon City has recalled Mayor Dan Holliday, 68% of voters backing that recall. He'll temporarily be replaced by Rachel Lyle Smith, Oregon City Commission president. The recall comes after a long string of controversies for the mayor. Back in April, he urged businesses to reopen in violation of Governor Kate Brown's stay-at-home order. Then in June, according to the Oregonian, critics said he downplayed police brutality against black people. He said black people being killed by police was, and I'm quoting, hardly an epidemic. Then later, he questioned why protests, riots, looting, and vandalism were allowed in Portland, but small towns couldn't have July 4th fireworks. Recall campaign manager Adam Marl told KGW, Citizens deserve to have a responsible government, a government that's guided by ethics and morals and accountability. And right now in Oregon City, we don't have that. And some good news, Portland's holiday tree going up at Pioneer Courthouse Square. Looks a lot like a Christmas tree. A big sign of the holiday season has arrived. Crews set up that Christmas tree at Pioneer Courthouse Square on Wednesday. As of now, no word on the annual lighting ceremony, whether it's going to be virtual or public in person. This year will mark the 36th annual tree lighting ceremony of some sort. More updates to come. And that is today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. Mary Nolan, newly elected Metro Councilor for North and Northeast Portland, discusses with me, Emily Gilliland, her to-do list, how she defines success in her first term as Metro Councilor, and what lessons are to be learned from this election. Here is new Metro Councilor Mary Nolan. Mary Nolan ran an exciting campaign for Metro Council against Chris Smith. She ultimately championed in that race, running on her record of 12 years in the Oregon legislature and two years as the executive director of Planned Parenthood Advocates of Oregon. Mary joins us now. Mary, congratulations and thank you for joining us. Delighted to be with you. Glad you're paying attention to Metro and that your listeners get a chance to hear about what's going on at Metro and hopefully engage because Metro is dealing with some very key issues that affect safety and health and livability um, for individuals and neighborhoods. I am delighted to be joining that team. Excellent. Well, you bring to the role deep community involvement, uh, uh, time in the legislature, as you think about joining that team, how are you preparing for the role? I'm spending a lot of time listening. I spent the last 10 months listening during the campaign. But as we all know, um, that listening uh, and that contact, that connection with voters and community-led groups has been much more difficult for everyone in the last 10 months. Um, so I'm continuing that. I am being deliberate about reaching out to and and hearing from uh, people who are deeply engaged in the services that Metro has some responsibility for, and not just responsibility, but the voters have um, before November, before this most recent uh, election, the voters have asked Metro to take on some big newer roles. Um, around homeless services and around affordable housing um, that Metro is still figuring out how to do. And I think I can help my colleagues um, move forward with ways that are really effective in delivering what people ask Metro to do when they said, yes, we'll approve a homeless services measure, and yes, we'll approve a bond measure to build more affordable housing. Yeah. So... As you think about your first days, what is your first order of business on Metro Council? 
Um, I'm joining a team of five other counselors and a president, so the seven of us together make up the Metro Council. Um, I ran on a couple of issues that I want to bring value and energy and advocacy for. Um, And I also recognize that we do things together. Mm. Uh, One of the things that attracts me to this role uh, is that Metro has an opportunity, and I have said through the campaign and believe it, it has an obligation to provide cohesiveness, to be the glue that brings the whole region together around common opportunities and common challenges. Um, And I I alluded to some of those. They certainly include how do we deliver what voters expect on the homeless services measure. Brand new territory for Metro. Mm. Not new for many of our local government partners, the counties and the cities within the metropolitan region. Um, But the voters were reacting to what was accurately described as a homelessness crisis. Mm -hmm. It is a crisis for people who have no place to live but outdoors, no place to sleep, no place at all for normal human comforts and and hygiene. Um, And providing those services as effectively and as quickly as we can is really important to me. It's important to the voters I talked with. I represent, I will represent a district that covers most of Northeast Portland, all of North Portland, Northwest Portland, and downtown. That district is where the largest proportion of people without housing live. And I feel a deep responsibility for those human beings and their needs um, and want to make sure that I bring as much energy to making sure that the implementation of that is really effective for the people who are living outdoors, for the people who have no permanent housing, whether it's a car or not outdoors. Um, and also for the neighborhoods and businesses um, who are struggling as it is and who need um, need help in making sure that they can thrive um, going forward. So that's, that's one top priority. Um, another top priority is uh, that Metro has lots of opportunity to work on initiatives that will help us make our own positive impact on reducing greenhouse gases and other threats to climate stability. Um, And that we can do already with the programs Metro has to implement the Green Spaces Program, which preserves habitat, which is a fabulous benefit for the airshed, is one thing that I will be paying attention to. And we do know that Metro took um, a bold effort and uh, initiative to try to bring the transportation system in the region into 21st century values and needs. Mm -hmm. And uh, that bold measure 
uh, didn't capture a majority support among the voters. Uh, I don't think it means that voters are not interested in either climate-friendly transportation practices or safety in uh, low-income communities, in communities populated largely by people of color. So there's work to do there. Mm. Um, but the most, the first thing I'm going to do is be an effective member of this team because they have taken some impressive leadership initiatives. And uh, if, if I just am successful in helping achieve the agendas Metro's already set out for itself, I'll, I'll feel successful. And if I can bring some insight into how we can broaden those ambitions, uh, I'm there for that, too. Mm. Now, as someone who has run several effective winning campaigns, including this one, you know, what can Metro learn from the loss of, of that transportation measure? Um, I'm still thinking about that. Mm. I, I like to rely on data. Yeah. I, I, I have a nice, I think it's a nice balance of really digging into the data, which I don't yet have access to, mm-hmm. but also um, listening to the stories um, that individuals and that communities share about their dreams and their ambitions and their fears and their concerns. I have had a good bit of that latter, um, and it informs some of how I'm shaping my thinking on the measure. But I I have to offer this caveat that uh, I can't really draw conclusions until I review the data, until I hear additional stories from, uh, you know, working families uh, worrying about the cost of commuting to their jobs, those who uh, still must go to a physical place to do their jobs, and a lot of people in this economy are still in that place. It tends, not exclusively, but it tends to be people in lower-wage jobs who have to be at a physical location, and I want to tap into those needs and concerns. Um, while many students, most students, are, are remote learning, there will come a time when we can open our schools again for in-person instruction and, and the sense of community that that brings. And I am listening to parents and students about their concerns. I alluded earlier to businesses, and that runs from local you know, family-owned restaurants or shops to large um, employers who have a an you know a, an impact globally. Um, listening to what their concerns are, um, what I, what I want to bring is my capacity to convene to help convene those diverse interests. Mm-hmm. Metro has done fabulous work um, on its community engagement and public input processes goes well, well beyond simply taking testimony before a vote is taken. Metro has a rich and um, intricate 
um, process for bringing in voices, experience, life perspectives of a range of people affected by initiatives that it might take. And I want to continue to support that. I think my relationships with a broad sector from my days in legislative leadership and also in community leadership um, might add value to that. And I have spoken with my soon-to-be colleagues um, to offer uh, to support them in the initiatives they're taking and the approach they're taking by deploying my um, my connections and my relationships to make that work. But I think Metro needs to do some more listening mm. um, to shape a transportation package um, that is compelling enough. The way I approach public services and public um, decisions is that elected leaders have a dual role of being the representatives of the people in the districts that elect them, but also leaders. Um, But leadership happens only when communities tell you they're ready to move boldly forward. Um, So it's important to set a big, ambitious goal out there, a vision of what can be. And I think the content of the transportation package that Metro sent to the voters captured that well, a bold vision of new possibilities. Um, But making sure that it really resonates with a broad cross-section of people, not just because you've convinced them that it makes sense, but because they genuinely share those priorities. And I think we have to do some more listening about that. Mm. Nolan, as we close, how can our listeners best support your work at Metro? Certainly any of them who I am directly accountable to, that is, they live in the district that elected me, um, should contact me directly. Um, I have always, throughout my public life, been very committed to being a representative. Um, And I can only represent people's priorities and ambitions and dreams if I know what they are. So pretty soon, I, in fact, even before I'm sworn in, I will have a Metro um, email and phone number, and uh, I'll share that with X-Ray FM as soon as I get it. Um, the other thing they can do is continue to advocate. I do understand how difficult that is in, uh, in a pandemic environment where we have to be responsible about public health. Um, But in some ways, through Zoom and other uh, media connections, it's easier to share your perspectives. Get involved in organizations that work on things you care about, whether that is climate change or recycling or parks and nature or accessibility for people with disabilities or representation of women and communities of color and other folks who have historically been excluded. 
be involved in those organizations because collective energy and collective advocacy is really, really effective. Um, and uh, get in touch with me and the Metro Council directly about the things you care about. Uh, I am. I have often uh, found that the biggest thing I can do is get in front of a movement that's already underway and apply my political skills to getting to majority support and finding the funding um, to implement ideas that other people come up with. And I am happy to play that role. Looking forward to it, in fact. Mm. We are, too. Nolan, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thanks to Council-elect Nolan for joining The Local. Thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. Thanks for subscribing and giving a five-star review. And thank you, Democracy. Talk to you tomorrow.